Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business, where I talk with interesting people sharing life and business experiences to entertain, engage, build community, and provide information to help others succeed. If you're interested in learning more about one of our guests or how we are helping business owners generate wealth and build businesses they can sell or succeed at Exit Your Way, you can find more information on our website, ExitYourWay.com, or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I'm your host, Damon Pistolka. And with me today, I've got David Finkelstein. We're going to be taught from BDEX, and we're going to be talking about understanding the importance of first-party data. David, thank you for being here today. Uh, Damon, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited because this is something that that some people may not think they really should understand, but I think it's a topic that we're going to uncover a few things that people may want to learn more about it. So I'm excited, excited to talk today. So, David, we always like to talk to start off the show by letting you kind of give us some of your background and your history, kind of, you know, how you got to where you're doing what you're doing today. All right. Well, I'm happy to. Uh, so my history goes back. I, I'm a long time, long time entrepreneur. Um, I started my first business uh, six months out of college back in nice. 1994. Uh, I started an internet service provider and literally started it because I got out of college where I was using the internet and then the internet didn't really exist back, back then, except for in colleges, right? The only other thing that really existed was AOL and Prodigy. And so um, I couldn't revert back to, you know, using something like AOL after using the internet the way it was uh, in college. So yeah. I started an internet service provider and that, um, got me off and running. It was, it was literally, uh, just started in my, my father had a business. So, you know, I, I kind of have entrepreneurship in, in my blood and started it in a little room in his office building, um, literally one computer with a bunch of modems hanging off of it and, yeah. and away we went. And so that's kind of what got me sort of my entrepreneurial start. Um, and I ended up uh, growing that business, uh, you know, over co- the course of about six years and selling it in two- 2000 to a cable company called U.S. Cable Corporation. Uh, at the time, I think they were about the 13th largest cable company in the U.S. And uh, that was sort of my Internet initial Internet journey and, and um, helped them deploy Internet across their cable systems and then left there and uh michael aronov who is now my partner was my employee number one at that business and uh uh, he and i left there and and started an internet advertising business called contextuad and so So what were you doing what were you doing there because it said that you served up billions of ads yeah yeah so we were sort of a, a, a back-end platform for targeting ads. And mm-hmm. so we built a technology that um, helped target ads contextually. So basically, you're, if you're on a music website, we could see that the, you know, the website was music-related. And as the ad was loaded, 
we basically looked at the content of the website and said, okay, this is music related. Let's show a music related ad. And so we use this technology to help target ads for um, a handful of clients. It really was, was kind of a, uh, a lifestyle of business. We only had a few clients, uh, eBay, Verizon, and AT&T were our biggest clients. And yeah. we served literally billions of ads for them. And um, that business grew over the course of time to just not just target ads contextually, but also behaviorally. So we started not just tracking what you were looking at today, right, on that website, mm -hmm. but what were you looking at recently? And what are you, you know, what are the, the behavioral habits around your website visiting and, you know, ads that you clicked on and things like that. So we really got to know and understand the consumer better. Yeah. And that, that sort of brought us into this data business that we're in today with BDEX because, uh, you know, at the time we ran that business for about 10 years and then sort of lots of other technology came out for targeting ads and, mm -hmm. and it sort of got commoditized. Right. Yeah. And so when you're in a business that's commoditized, you want to look internally and say, okay, well, what do we have here that really differentiates ourselves, right? And at that time we said, well, we had built this technology to manage the data because we were, like you said, we were driving uh, ads for billions of, of ad impressions and tracking a lot of data. So just managing that data was difficult. You know, we're talking, you know. Yeah trying to think, you know, we're talking you know, between 10 and 15 years from now. So yeah. we didn't have the processing power we have today. So there was just a lot of, of work to manage that data. And so we saw the value uh, of the business going forward was really tied to the data, that the mm -hmm. data was the key to everything that we were doing. And that's when we set out to build BDAX, which is essentially this data exchange platform, which is really geared towards driving um, performance for advertisers based on, you know, timely data. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you developed another one in here too, that I saw in your profile called triple jacks, that yeah. triple jack, a poker. So you just in your spare time, you were like, Hey, let's come up with a fun one. You know, it's a funny story, actually. Um, somewhere along the line, um, I'm trying to remember exactly when I was, it was before we started BDEX. So it was, you know, while we're, we're running contextual ads, mm -hmm. I got into poker. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking for some place to play online and I wasn't into playing for money because I wasn't ready to, you know, I was just learning how to play. Yeah. And so I found this website, triple Jack was a website at the time. And there really wasn't a business around it. It was, uh, it turned out, you know, it was just a fun game to play online. Yeah. And, you know, I had contacted the owner, the guys, the, there were two guys that created the game. Crazy story is these two guys never met. They hadn't met each other. They both met each other online. One was more of a designer, graphic designer, computer designer. And the other was more of a computer programmer. And the two of them said, hey, wouldn't it be cool to create a poker game? Would you design it? And I'll do the back end work. And they had created this game without ever meeting. And so I had met them online and started chatting with them. And I was like, I kind of like what you guys are doing here, but I think there's like more of an opportunity to create kind of a business around it. And so they were like, all right, well, you know, that'd be cool. Let's talk about that. And I said, well, let's, you know, where you guys live, I'll, I'll come fly out and I'll, I'll meet you guys. 
And they're like, you know, well, we've never met each other. <laughs> one of them was from Austin and the other one from Colorado, uh, Denver. And so I was like, you know what? Well, let's all meet. And, you know, where should we meet? So we ended up meeting in Austin and uh, met the two of them. We all, we hit it off and, and we kind of decided, okay, let's build a business around it. So it's kind of like a, a fun side business that we've had uh, for a number of years. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a, a fun, free, yeah, silly little that, that's cool. Game where what's fun about it is you can play a hand of poker and, and if the other you know, person beats you in a hand, you can throw a pie in their face or something like that. Well, I saw that. That was kind of fun. I'm going to have to get on there and try it because I think that would be a good time. It'd be it's a good me. time. <laughs> we got, a, we got a lot of people in here today. We got Michael Connors in here today. Jesse's here uh, saying hello to Mike and hello to everyone else. We got Elizabeth Jeffries here. And then down here, Jesse's got some comments in here, and I'm trying to get through a few of them here. Michael's here. I believe you know him. So your partner in the business there. <laughs> it's good stuff. Um, and uh, and then Jesse's saying it's exciting to hear your story. So <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. And then we got Joshua Morgan. There we go, Joshua. Nice to see you today. Hey, Josh. Cheers. So... So you're in BDEX and what, what, I mean, cause you started this eight years ago, right? You started eight yeah. years ago. This is before people were really talking about first party data. Cause we were living in the heyday of heck eight years ago was like, just put up some pay-per-click money and you can sell stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what really, I mean, yeah, that's some forethought there to be able to well, go into that. Yeah. I mean, well, honestly, one of the things that really um, sort of caught our eye in starting this was when we had the the other business contextual ads and we were, you know, we were looking at the data that we had about, you know, that we were using to target ads. Yeah. And then we, we said, you know what, let's talk to some of the other data companies out there and talk to them about licensing the data. And so we're like, you know, it would be interesting to see if they could leverage this data too, right, for their advertisers. And so we did that. And in talking to them, we realized that there, there were some challenges in doing that because they were asking us to zip up big files of data, you know, that we had seen people going to certain types of websites or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. We would send it to them and they would like, they would tell us, okay, well, now we're going to aggregate this data with some other data that we get from some other sources. We're going to build audiences out of it and then we're going to activate it. And so that whole process took about 90 days. And so, as you can imagine, if we're tracking, you know, that you're looking to buy a new car and then we're going to give them this data and they're going to process it for 90 days and then activate it for their advertisers, you know, 90 days later, you may have bought that car. Like, yeah, it's done it, deal. It's right? gone already. Yeah. So, so that's really what started the whole thing is we said, wow, okay. this whole process that you guys are using is kind of broken. Like you're losing all the value of the data. And so we went to them and said, hey, what if we could build a platform that would help you aggregate that data in more real time. Let us do the aggregation for you. We'll aggregate it with all kinds of other data assets um, and then help you activate that. And so that's kind of what led us um, to start BDEX was just that idea where we kind of foresaw um, that that would solve a problem. Uh, it turned out that everything didn't work as planned, right? And nothing ever really does. And, yeah. and we pivoted a little bit from that um, since today. But 
But overall, that's that's how we you know started the whole thing, and that was the whole idea and the concept between behind the data exchange platform, which is really the backbone of what of our our platform. Yeah, yeah. So for for people, hey, hello, Rodney. Great to see you today. Um, for people that understand first party data, can you just give us a brief? Uh, synopsis of what first party data really is. Yeah, I mean, first party data is the data that you own as a company about your customers, right? Yeah. And so you have the opportunity when you have a customer to collect information, whether it be just from them buying it, you know, maybe they bought a product. So now you've learned something about them, or whether they've actually, you know, you surveyed your customers and asked them for information. That's, these are ways that you can obtain information about your existing customers. Um, and so, you know, what we've been challenging businesses to do is find ways to leverage that first party data. It's super valuable. Uh, and a lot of companies use it, hopefully, to decide what of their own products they can target to their existing customers, mm -hmm. right? So you get that all the time, right? You buy something from Amazon, you get an email saying that we have, you know, some other similar product or whatever. Um, or when you go to their website, it says we have this similar product to what you previously bought. And that's great. But the real question is, how do you leverage that to find new customers? And so that's what we're really challenging uh, people in the industry to resolve. And so our latest product, our Omni IQ machine learning product, does exactly that. And it's building audiences that are seated based on your first party data so that you can find more people like those people that have purchased from you before. Okay. Yeah. Because so the great explanation. So thanks. Thanks for getting us that and started there. So there are some changes for the people that don't know that are, that are, have been, in the past, recent past with Apple and some privacy changes, and then the upcoming things that Google are, are Google's going to be doing with cookies. Can you explain those a little bit and why that makes this more relevant to more people? Yeah, certainly. I mean, with the changes in the laws, the changes in uh, iOS and Android uh, that are limiting what data can be tracked or how it can be tracked or how it can be used. Uh, that's going to limit the third-party data that exists out there. And so that basically means it's going to be harder to find resources that will be able to provide data that will help you target your advertising today. And we've seen, you know, our clients, I've seen friends that have already had their businesses affected from this, from those changes, just because the ad targeting within Facebook or within Instagram or, or within any ad platform that they're using just isn't working as effectively anymore because mm -hmm. there's less data being tracked about consumers. And so this here and, you know, this is the, the you know, the problem that I, I sort of mentioned earlier is just companies need to figure out how to leverage their first party data to find more customers because yeah. that third party data is going to get harder and harder to find. Yes. So then this is, I'm going to, I'm going to try to give my, my simplistic view of what was happening. If, if I had before 
like iOS, for example, I've got an mm -hmm. iPhone. Uh, before the iOS privacy changes, and you mentioned laws too, and laws have affected this in certain states, but before the, the iOS privacy changes, Facebook was monitoring not just when I was on Facebook, but it was monitoring all of my activities on my phone, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could uh, basically have access to, not directly, they're not monitoring yeah. what apps you're using, but those apps that you were using had a, you know, a mechanism where they could sell that data to Facebook. Mm -hmm. They could track it and sell it to Facebook and, and every website and every app that you're using essentially was doing all of that. Um, and that's why uh, you were able to, you know, sort of be targeted across, you know, different apps or different websites that you're using with similar content. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it is, you know, people often wonder why, you know, I was just thinking about buying something or I may have searched for it and then all of a sudden it shows up on my phone or it shows up in a different app and, and something else. And that was part of that ecosystem working behind the scenes. Yeah. And, and with the iOS changes that, that was largely limited and uh, so you're saying that the first party data, what you're doing is you're actually taking the, the people that I'm selling to, understanding them better by mm -hmm. using, the, using the data that you can, you can legally and ethically collect on them and turn it into here, maybe other people with similar um, situations. I don't know, I'm not using the right words, but similar habits or, or patterns yeah. that, that would say that they could be uh, potential customers. Yeah, exactly. Okay. This doesn't sound easy. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, it's not. In fact, I mean, a lot of this couldn't have been done just even just a few years ago because of the processing power that's required, you know, to process this much data. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we were just literally just having a conversation about that today in, a, in our engineering meeting. Just the fact that, you know, there's a lot of processing that goes behind building an audience based on, you know, uh, you know, a first party seed and then applying machine learning to it. There's, there's a lot of, you know, because of all the processing, uh, that's going on that, you know, it's it, like I said, it's just something that, you know, if you just go a few years back, you probably couldn't, couldn't even do it to the same extent yeah. you could do it today. It would just be cost prohibitive. It would cost yeah. too much. Yeah. Well, yeah. Michael says that the time is now to leverage first party data. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think he's right because, you know, and this is, this is, this is hitting anyone that's advertising really it's because it's, it's making it less and less of each dollar, less and less effective unless you are doing something outside of the, the methods that were used before. So Google's also changing something in, to do with cookies and that's going to take them a while yet before they do it. But what, what is, how is that going to, further affect this. Yeah, I mean it's all it's all part of the same ecosystem. So because with third party cookies, you know, mm -hmm. going away, that means less data on the open web that will be tracked. Mm -hmm. Right? So across multiple websites. So you know when when you talk about third party data, it's like you're on Facebook's website and you know when you go to Facebook's website right right now or Yahoo or any website you go to, there's, you know, 50 different companies that are tracking your activity on that website so that they can learn something about you and, and target you. And, you know, 
you know, there's, you know, controversy around whether people like being tracked or not. But from my perspective, you know, and I'm not just saying this because it's the business I'm in, I'm saying this as a consumer that I want to be targeted because I don't want to go backwards. I don't want to see ads for, you know, insurance all the time or, you know, payday loans or whatever we used mm -hmm. to see back in, in the day when you couldn't target ads. It was very generic yeah. ads. Um, I like when I go to a website or I'm in an app or whatever it is, and I see an ad that is related to something I'm actually interested in. And I give yeah. this example all the time. People that, that follow me online have seen this example numerous times, but I haven't been to a McDonald's in 25 years. And yet when I watch TV, I see McDonald's ad almost every day on, on, you know, linear TV because they don't have yeah. the ability to target me. They have no, yeah. they don't know enough about me. Um, I don't want that, you know, like that, that's not, that's not a good experience to me, you know? <laughs> and, and so that's the, that's the challenge is right. How do you get people comfortable with, you know, data collection and targeting, but at the same time, you know, give them the quality experience, you know, yeah. because there's been too many companies that have abused, right. Abused yes. the privilege of targeting and tracking data that have, you know, kind of, you know, ruined the, the sort of muddied the waters for everyone else that's trying for, to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you want to do it, if, you know, and you want to do it in a respectful manner, then it could be very, you know, it could be very rewarding both for, you know, the company that's doing the advertising, but also for the consumer. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, like you said, you're getting the ads you want. And you, you answered a question that I was actually, actually asking myself a few weeks ago watching television. I was like, I wonder if they've gotten to the point to where they actually are feeding me the ads that, that I really want to see. Cause it sure doesn't seem like it. Cause every other one's a Geico commercial and whatever right. else. I, I, I think that's they the must have a yeah, that's the problem with TV is they just don't have the ability to target, you know, um, at the set-top box level. To, a, to an individual. To an individual or an individual household, the way that they, they do it, you know, they do it based on DMA. So everybody in that in that DMA is getting targeted, you know, they're getting the same ads. That's the problem. Yeah. It's not like on the web or on a mobile app or even in a, on a CTV platform, you know, where you can actually have a much more targeted ad. Um, yeah. But, you know, with these these changes, you know, you're going to you're going to see some things go backwards. I mean, I was just on the on the phone yesterday with a guy consulting for a hundred million dollar a year business mm -hmm. that has a four hundred dollar, you know, purchase point for a product and their cost, their acquisition costs have shot up to a hundred dollars over a hundred dollars yeah. Yeah. because of these changes. And yeah. so they're, they're coming to me and saying, how do we fix this? Like, can yeah. you help us find, you know, the right people to target our ads to because we can't continue our business like this? Yeah, yeah it's huge. I mean, because just because it, over the past, you know, COVID caused just normal pay-per-click prices to go up because of competition and and people wanted to sell more online. But I'm, I'm sure that the the uh, lack of targeting or as as it changed the the reduced effectiveness of the targeting like you said can mm -hmm. can put companies literally out of business yeah yeah so 
when you talk about putting this together, right? And, and you go, and you mentioned something in a post, I think it was today or a few days ago about touch points. Now, kind of without, you know, getting into anything proprietary, how are you doing this? I mean, because it's, it's just seems like this is a massive thing to figure out what I'm doing uh, on a given day or, or, or how do you, how does it happen? Yeah, it's, you know, it's billions of data points coming in daily from, you know, thousands of, you know, different, you know, websites and apps and yeah. POS systems that are tracking purchases and all kinds of things. Um, and so then you have to take all of that and you got to put, you know, they're basically puzzle pieces, right? Each yeah. one is a little piece of data and it tells us something, but it's really nothing without the rest of it all put together. So, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, it's a matter of taking all this data and really sort of reconstructing it into something that's useful. Yeah. I could, cause I think that my, my habits, you know, I was in Starbucks today, got a coffee, that was probably tracked by some, some, for some reason. And how does that affect the whole thing? You know, how, how does that affect me? And it's just, it's, it's really interesting to see how we can put big data together to really help get the right products to the right people. Yeah. And I think long-term, I think that, you know, there's, a, there's so many things going on right now around, identity and ad targeting and privacy that I think that there is a long-term solution. I think the, the industry is struggling to find it right now. Um, mm -hmm. But I do think that there is a long-term solution around what I would call consent, um, consent management. And so that the idea of consent management is, you know, you go to a website or you're using an app and that app asks you, Hey, I want to collect some data about you and here's how I'm going to use it. Full transparency. You know, here's how we want to use it. We want to improve the experience for you. Um, you know, whatever. And those websites or apps that you trust that are being transparent like that, you're going to say, okay, to you're going to say, yeah, you know, that uh, I'm good with that. Some you might not because mm -hmm. maybe they have a history of, you know, that's pretty, you know, uh, that has already sort of made you feel uncomfortable. And, and mm -hmm. so you're saying no to those and the ones that say you say yes to, um, will, you know, track certain information about you and, and that information becomes available to other companies that will, you know, be able to track you, but I mean, be able to use that data to target you because you mm -hmm. allowed it. Um, but ultimately, you know, a lot of that goes on today, but right now you go to every website and it's just a button that says, you know, we're going to track you yes or no. And you're just like, okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. And you have no idea what's going on. There's no transparency there. Yes. And so I believe that the, the real solution is an application that gives you that transparency and allows you to monitor that. Yeah. All in one place. So you don't have to go to 10, 20 different websites or different yes. apps and see, okay, what are these guys tracking about me? Should I allow them? I'm going to turn this one on. I'm going to turn this one off. I'm, you know, you need sort of a centralized place to do that. And if there's one place that will kind of manage all your consent, I think that that's the long-term solution. No one's really put it together yet. And, and so um, I think that, you know, the industry is still playing with lots of different potential solutions, but, but I think that, 
that is what the industry really ultimately needs in order for us to be able to have the same experience we're having today or mm -hmm. two years ago before all this started um, yeah. and and not and feel good about it you know what i mean yeah not feel yeah. like it's being abused you bring out some really good points when you talk about this con centralized consent management because if you think about this and if there was just say an application on your phone, on your computer, whatever device you're on. And you can say, Hey, I, I just want to see the data that was transmitted. To, you know, that was, that was shared across everything. Yeah. I just want to see what was shared. And I, and I really think that 90 plus percent of the time people go, Oh, that's innocuous. I don't care. Right. right. And most people don't care. They, but they, but the only reason they care is because they don't know. They can't, there's no exactly. transparency. They don't know exactly. what the heck you're doing. You know, I think you so hit a lot of people are afraid you're you know you're going going too far. You're listening yes. to every word I'm saying or whatever yes. it is. You know, people are yeah. afraid that you're listening on their phone and that the Alexa is listening to you. And you know, yes. Facebook has gotten caught doing that actually. So um yeah. so it just needs transparency. Yeah, and I think what you're talking about would be a would be a really it would be a stellar solution just because of the fact that, like you said. If I knew exactly what was going and I could look at it whenever I wanted and, and, and just knowing that they could would give people enough confidence to just go ahead and, and do it. But yeah. then if you, if you wanted to take the next level and you could look at it and you realize that what it was doing and how all the little pieces were really nothing, it would, it would make people so much more comfortable. That's, that's a yeah. great idea. Holy heck. So have you been, so you're on the Forbes technology council and we talked about that a little bit more and you said that that gives you an opportunity so are, to to help, you know, comment and contribute and publish articles and, and really help educate. So is this centralized consent management? Is that something you hear other people starting to talk about or is it? I, I haven't. I've seen a few companies that have created a sort of consent management, but it's more um, more. Uh, I'd say individualized to a single business. Okay. Okay. So let's, let's just say you're yeah. Best Buy and Best Buy wants to know stuff about you. And so it, it may allow them to sort of control what, you know, what you know, you're sharing to Best Buy or something like mm -hmm. that, but not, okay. not to third parties and not cross platform and all of that. So I haven't really seen it. Um, you know, I'll be honest and say it's, it's kind of been an internal project that we've, you know, Oh, discussed yeah. and 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 we've been investigating but uh, uh you know you know it's my belief that that's kind of the long-term solution to solve all of this yeah i think it's, it's it's a super cool idea man i just think so uh elizabeth agrees she thinks she thinks it's a good idea too so um and what we agree to and how it's being used and and it's thanks elizabeth <laughs> like like you said it's the not knowing makes people yeah. go to the extreme of the bad. So when on the Forbes Technology Council that you're on, I mean, what are, what are some of the far out stuff that you've, you've seen in the, on there? You said you get to comment and review some. What's the, some of the far out stuff that you get to see that we, we haven't heard about, haven't talked about that you go, wow, that's kind of wild. Oh, you know, honestly, I, I, I don't know that I've seen anything that far out. Far out. It's really more... <laughs> Um, you know, we, we write, you know, content and publish them, you know, send it to them and, and, you know, they'll publish 
um, okay. the ones that they like, you know, so if they like the content we write, then they'll, they'll right. publish it. Um, and so it's more of an opportunity for us to further educate. You know, we take the, you know, the things that we're talking about here, we, we put them into an article, um, share it through Forbes, um, tech council. Okay. Uh, it's, you know, it's really, the tech council is really just, uh, tech leaders around the world that, you know, are just sharing knowledge, you know, and Forbes just is sort of the, the you know, mediator of that knowledge to, to get it out to the world for us. Oh, it's cool. Cool that you're involved with it. I'm sure it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun when you can, we can get information shared through a, through a medium like that. Yeah. And we're all about that. I mean, obviously, you know, anyone that's followed us and, 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 and seen follow me or, or the company has seen that we try to put out as much content as possible, just educating the community about, you know, the industry changes going on in the industry and, and, and how, uh, you know, obviously how we can, you know, help, but also just, uh, you know, what's going on and, and, you know, where, where the, where we think the industry is going. Yeah. So in regards to that, what, what do you think is, if you could share what you believe is the most important educational point around first party data that you've heard recently, what would that be? Oh, you know, the one thing I always tell people is just make sure you're, you're, you're leveraging your first party data because so many people have customers and they don't realize that the best opportunity to learn is from your own customers right okay. and so the worst the worst thing i've seen companies do is is send out a survey that's like 10 minutes long asking for feedback you know the best thing i've ever seen uh was a company called rackspace where they used to send out and i've seen other companies do it soon yep. uh, since then but i remember you know they used to send out an email with one question you know and you know, click one through five, you know, uh, rate, rate us on this or, or whatever, um, or multiple choice, pick one on this, you know, the best way to survey your customers is, is to ask them, just ask them one question at a time. You know, people don't want to invest too much, too much time. Um, and you'd be surprised at how much people are willing to share information with you. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if they know you and, and, you know, you're talking about your customers, and so your customers are always going to be willing to share information if they believe that that will help them get, you know, better service from you down the road. So that's an opportunity that should not be lost on anyone. And you make a good point and writing the note down, uh, they're willing to share if they believe it'll help them get better products or service in the future. And that's one of the things I think that if you, to get that, if you're telling people that that's a great point, make that because we, we will. We'll give information if we think it's going to make our experience or our products or services better the next time. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. So let's see. I'm looking through my questions here. So as you've been going through this over the years, have the needs of your customers really changed a lot as the change in it? Or has it always kind of been we're trying to put together the – the uh, learn more about their existing and, and potential customers, or has there been like, well, it really changes because we need to know, I don't even know the right words to ask around this, but it was one of my thoughts is you've been in this for, for, we're now over eight years. And I was just wondering how the needs of your customers have changed other than of course, you know, losing, losing the, the other kind of things. Has there really been much of a change beyond that? 
I don't think there has. I mean, it, it's it's always for us, at least, it's always been a focus on understanding your customers. Okay. Um, for one, and then you know, helping you reach more customers like them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so we've done it a couple of different ways. And so obviously we're steering more towards helping companies use it with do this with first party data where we used to, you know, use a lot of third party data to yeah. do it in the past. Um, but ultimately we're, we're solving the same problem, you okay. know, in a different way. Um, but it's, you know, it's always shocking to me going back to what we were just talking about, um, leveraging your first party data. It's always shocking to me how many people come to us and they want to find more customers, but they don't know anything about their customers. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't, you know, don't even know, you know, the age distribution of them or, you know, or, you know, income levels or things like that, just basic, really simple stuff. Um, and so that's, you know, going back to that is, you know, is what we were always trying to tell people is it's really important to understand who your customers and it's great. You come to us and you don't know this, we can help you. Mm -hmm. You know, we have, you know, we can, we can help you figure out who your customers are. Yeah. That's great. And we're happy to do that, you know, but that's something that, you know, a lot of companies don't realize that you know, they could be doing on their, their own as well, you know, just by asking. Yeah. Yeah. We had, we had a client literally, this was, this was three, four years ago that had an email list of several hundred thousand uh, customers and they had no idea where they live. They had no idea. They just knew they bought something. They didn't, they didn't know anything yeah. about them. And it, it was, it was amazing. And they were not sending out any emails at the time to, you know, so it, it, mm -hmm. It's just it's it changes and people if your yeah. business is doing well, I think it 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 allows you to get uh, honestly a little bit lazy. And yeah, I mean when it, go ahead. I was just gonna say you gave me the perfect opportunity to plug our product because that, that you know, we have a product that you literally can upload those email addresses and it'll you know spit you back a bunch of charts and graphs and show you, you know, the demographics of the of those users. And so you know, we, we do that as sort of a, a, you know, almost as a public service where we won't even charge for that because we feel it's important for you to know something about your existing customers. And, and you know, obviously we'll then take that and use that, you know, against uh, our modeling to, to find more people that, you know, that look just like those customers. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's these are simple things that everybody should know about their, their customers. Yeah, right. Some notes on that. Because, yeah, it is. It is. Because I think back to that situation, right? We had all the emails, had addresses, had everything, but had no other demographic information other than that. Yeah. And and that's, yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, this is so interesting. I, I've got to go back, though. I've got to go back. I know we've been talking about the first party data, and this is just when I think of first party data and what you guys are putting together, the gazillion different points that you've got to put together and the machine learning and everything else it takes to put it, it's mind boggling to me. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's super cool what you're doing. And, and even like you said, a few years ago, you couldn't even do this kind of stuff because it was cost prohibitive from a CPU power standpoint. Yeah. But what do you think we're going to be able to do, uh, couple years from now that you're like, man, we can't even touch it now, but I really think things are going to happen. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, it's a great question. And I think that 
uh, you know, one of the really cool things that, that I look forward to is when we can actually do that in real time. Yeah. And so, you know, the machine learning algorithms are learning as you're doing things online. Mm -hmm. You know, you just bought something. The worst thing that I've ever seen, and you see it all the time, you just, you buy something online and then you see an ad for the same thing for the next 48 yeah. hours because yeah. they haven't figured out that you bought it. Right. Yes. So imagine yeah. in a world where you start searching for something and now you're seeing ads for, for exactly what you want to buy and you, you, you go and you buy it. And now that stops, <laughs> you know, because oh, it realizes yeah. that you made that purchase and now you're on to something else. Right. And now yes. it's your wife's birthday and you're searching for something for her birthday. And now it's showing you mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff for that. You know, that to me is, is like, you know, that's the ultimate goal is when, these, you know, this machine learning algorithms can kind of learn as you go, you know, and process data as you go so that it's constantly, you know, targeting you with the right messages instead of stuff you bought already, you know, yeah, or whatever. That's <laughs> a great point, though, because how annoying is it that when because it, it happened, it's happened to everyone because it's still, I mean, it's still a fact of life with yeah. us, but um, to be able to move on and change from it. Oh, that's great. So I do have one question. Back when you're when when you started your your internet when you had the internet service provider company, I mean you're you. I'm imagining you because you're in your in your dad's shop there, and you you had the computer with the modems on it. I mean, how how did that change over the over the years that you had that? Because that was a that was a crazy time. Yeah. In you know yeah. dial up to uh broadband or whatever constant connected internet so just explain I'll, that a little bit that's i'll paint you a picture so we start yeah. out my so my my father so we started this business in new jersey and so we had this building my father had this office building that was in downtown ramsey new jersey for anyone that knows new jersey um, small town in northern yeah. new jersey and the building itself i think was built in like 1901 so it was, it was an old it was actually an old house that was mm -hmm. converted into a, an office and office building. And so you can, if you can picture this old house from, you know, 1900s, it literally had a rock foundation. The foundation was made of rocks with mortar in between them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so in the basement of that was where the phone lines came in. And we actually had, you know, when we started this business, we had a single 56 K line into the internet right i think mm -hmm. we got with at&t or something um and then we had a computer with like eight or ten modems connected to it with a little I don't know, serial port that could connect eight or ten modems to it and so we created you know we built the software that would allow people to log in and then be able to connect to whatever there wasn't really a web back then so it really was like when we first started it was news groups and the mm -hmm. old usenet news groups and email and stuff like that and the web started you know started uh, soon after and so that's how we started and so over the years we started taking up more and more space in the building and so you know at one point we had one of the rooms which probably was only if i'd guess probably about 12 by 12 room but in that room by the time we had sort of built up this business there were racks computer racks lined up in this building with computer equipment and 
modems that were built in racks. So US Robotics made like a big rack where you could fit like, I don't know, 20 modems into it and into the rack. And so we had yeah. these things all lined up on these racks in this, mind you, building that was built in 1900. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and by then we had a couple of T1 lines coming into it. So the speed would, had gone up a little bit over the years. Um, and then we even had you know, a few other locations where we would put, you know, equipment in some, some, some of our clients' offices so that we could have local dial-up numbers in different places. Yeah. Uh, before you got, you know, sort of those companies like AT&T that would set up international dial-up numbers. And so that's kind of how we started the whole thing. When we sold it, we had three locations in New Jersey, um, but we were serving, but by then we had a, you know, relationship with AT&T and we could leverage other phone numbers throughout the country. So we were providing national dial-up and we were doing websites and we were doing all this stuff in this, you know, by the time we sold the business, I had taken over the whole building. My father had, had, had uh, sold his business and, and moved on and we had taken over the whole building and, and uh, it was just kind of this, this weird, you know, clash of this old building and all this, what was new technology at the time. It was kind of neat. Yes. Well, it's interesting for people that had grew up in the, in the, in the last, you know, 10, 15 years of the constant, you know, constant on internet in our, in our cell phones and everything don't realize, you know, the old dial up where the modem had to dial the other modem and the, you know, yeah. the, the connections and stuff. And that was, that was quite the, quite the exciting time as things were, yeah. things were moving. I still there. have back here, actually, that is the original hard drive that ran the entire company when we first started <laughs> it. And uh, the, the, the team back then, I think it was our five year anniversary. We had, we had finally retired that computer and they took the hard drive and framed it for me. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, David, I just appreciate you taking the time to just talk about first party data and some of your thoughts around it, because I know what you guys are doing at, at BDEX there is really helping a lot of ever, people that want to understand more about their, their current and prospective customers. So what what's the best way if somebody wants to get a hold of you? Is it to get on the BDEX website and, and, and go through there? Or what's the best way to if someone wants to reach out to BDEX? Yeah, I mean, the website, BDEX.com, super okay. easy. Um, yep. You can reach me at David at BDEX.com. Uh, okay. or, uh, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure having you here today, David Finkelstein, uh, BDEX, talking about understanding first-party data. You've given us so much, so many insights and, and thoughts and perspectives on it. I just appreciate it. And uh, love the love the story about the ISP and, you know, Triple Jack, your your poker company, I think is is, is a fun, fun little diversion. So yep. thanks for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you, Damon. Anytime. All right. Awesome. Well, everyone, thanks so much for being here today. We will be back again next week with another guest on the Faces of Business. Thanks a lot.